You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Neil Bernardino, and I'm the pastor of this church. We are on week four of our series entitled Beyond the Science. And in this series, we're looking at the different miracles of Jesus that he performed in the book of John. Not all of them, but we're looking at seven of them. This is entitled Beyond the Science because Jesus performs signs and wonders and miracles. But he doesn't want us to really focus on uh, the miracles. He wants us to see what the miracles point to. And that is a greater reality of who he is. And with that, if you have your Bibles with you, please open it to John chapter 6. We're going to be reading 15 verses from verse 1 up to verse 15. I am reading from the English Standard Version. John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they? For so many, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled them, filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the richness of your word. We thank you, God, that your word speaks to us. Lord, it is not just about a people of a certain time, but your word is timeless. And your word is true for us even today. And I pray that we would receive what your Holy Spirit is teaching us today through your word. And we pray that we may be able to, Lord, embrace that word and that truth so that we may live it in our lives. Lord, we thank you. And we lift up this sermon to you, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, uh, we're talking about signs. And I have a few pictures here. How many of you have been to Lake Tahoe? Have you been to Lake Tahoe? Okay, how many of you like Lake Tahoe? Okay, so we have some pictures here of, that's in the winter and in the summer. So these are some of our pictures that we've been there. 
here we're going up the gondola, going up to Heavenly Resort, up the mountain during winter time. And here we have Luigi and Miguel, you know, on kayak on the lake. Such a refreshing time. And how many of you have memories, great memories in Lake Tahoe? Or maybe in a, in a place that is really, really beautiful. I think I saw a sign there that says, Memories built on the lake stay forever. Stay with you forever. So being in Lake Tahoe, these are some of the great memories that we have with our family, right? And we talk about them. We talk about our experience, our time there. But it's interesting. We take pictures. And I see a lot of you, I, I know when... When people are in Lake Tahoe on a Sunday, because they post it right away. <laughs> That's fine. So with today's technology. So, but we take pictures so that we share with others the joy that we feel in such a happy place. But there are those who take pictures on signs. I mean, here it's a sign. I think this is in Highway 50. Because I think from Highway 50, it'll connect you, basically, it'll lead you straight to that place in Maryland, in Ocean City, Maryland. But here, South Lake Tahoe, 107 miles. There's this old person here. And I looked at the internet. There are so many people stopping by and having the picture taken here. And it's interesting. When we go to a place, you follow the signs. Lake Tahoe, this way. So you follow the signs, but how many of you talk about those signs? How many of you, are, when you go back from your vacation, oh, there's this great sign on the highway. It's this rectangular thing, and it's green, and it says Lake Tahoe, 50 miles. What an awesome thing. How many of you think that's ridiculous? I mean, dude, come on. Lake Tahoe is a lot better. How many of you really talk about those signs? We don't. We talk about the real thing. The signs get us to the real thing. And it's ridiculous when we camp on the signs. When we make our whole experience based on the sign, not on the actual place. Again, I'm saying that because this is the theme of our series for this month of March. And the story that we read is basically a very important story in the Gospels because all four Gospels record this account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all speak of this event. That tells you that it is significant. Let me give you basically some background and some setting here. We have Jesus in the region of Galilee, and then people are already following him. And it says there in verse 2, the crowds were following him because of the signs that he was doing on the sick. He was performing miraculous signs. He was healing them. He was healing sick people, and he was getting popular. So people were following him. And it says here also, it was a time of the Passover. You see, a lot of people followed Jesus because of the signs and probably out of curiosity. How many of you sometimes are curious, George? You're very curious about everything. Sometimes people are just curious. That's why they follow Jesus. Some of them, they're just intrigued by, what's this all about? By this miracle worker. Let me see this. Let me see this guy. Some of them, they didn't have any clue. They were just following the crowd. 
You know, I'll go with the crowd. How many of you are like that? Wherever the crowd goes, that's where you go. Whatever the crowd wears, that's what you wear. Whatever the crowd says, that's what you say. If the crowd says, for sure, I, I can't even say it. You say it as well. And you say it in a funny way, just like I did. Some of them are there just because they were dragged by their parents or by their friends. There are several reasons why people follow Jesus. And it says here, they followed him because of the signs that he was performing. And in verse 4, it says there that this is a time of the Passover. This is the Feast of the Jews. The Passover is one day in the Jewish festival of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were commemorating or celebrating the original Passover, which happened in the book of Exodus. Remember, during the Passover, the original one, it was the very last plague that God placed upon Egypt, where he would strike all the firstborn. But he passed over the houses of the Israel, basically sparing their firstborn children if they followed the Lord's directive to slay a lamb and put its blood on the doorposts of their houses. When the Lord sees that the blood is there on the doorpost, he would pass over. That means he would say, this is spared. So those with the mark of the blood, they are spared from death. And that was the last plague that caused the Egyptians to really let the Israelites go. And the Passover was actually the last day of their slavery. They've been slaves for centuries. And that was the last day, can you imagine? In that Passover, God instructed them, be in haste. You're going to have a meal, but don't let it be, have any leaven on it. Okay? Let it be unleavened. So you're going to eat it in haste. And that's why after they left Egypt, the Lord told them, you are to commemorate this. So that you and all the generations after you, you will remember your deliverance. You will remember that you were once slaves, that I delivered you with a mighty hand and made you into a nation. And I made a covenant with you. So they're about to celebrate uh, the Passover there. And it's interesting that it is the Passover is one day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is for a few days. Jesus multiplied the bread here. The theme of bread is coming up. The miracle that took place was uh, that of Jesus multiplying the five loaves and the two fish. And the characters we have here are Jesus, his disciples, crowds. Some of them were disciples of Christ as well. And then we have a certain boy in the crowd that had five loaves and two fish. All right, so we're going to look at each experience of these characters with this encounter with Jesus and with this miracle. So let's look at the disciples first. John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says there, As Jesus saw the crowds coming toward him, he looked at his disciples, particularly Philip, and then he asked Philip a question. Where can we buy bread so that we can feed them? Because it's getting late. The Bible says, the account says there were about 5,000 men there. But there were men, women, and children there. Some experts would say there were about 10,000 people there. Or even about fifteen to 20,000 men, women, and children. But the Bible counted just the men. About 5,000 men. 
here in this place, we have more women than men. And I think that's pretty common in any gathering, especially of a religious type. For some reason, there are more women than men. So if there are 5,000 men, it's safe to say that there's at least probably about 10,000 people there. And here Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy bread for all of them? People were at the foot of the mountain coming up. So they're not in a commercial area. They're out there by the fields, by the mountains. Where can we buy bread? It says there, Jesus asked Philip this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. He already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what was going to happen. But he tested Philip. There was a reason why. And you see, Jesus does that a lot. He tests his disciples. He tests us. And there are many, many reasons why. But part of it is for us to see who he really is. And who we are and where we are in him. Sometimes in our tests, tests reveal things, right? Tests would, would reveal to the teachers if a student studied or not. So it would reveal things. And so he tested Philip and asked him, where can we get bread? And Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even just a little. A denarius is a day's wage for a laborer, so a common laborer. A denarius. So how much is the minimum wage for California, the average? I think the average is about $10.5, $10.50, the average all throughout California. So let's put it at just 10 so to make it easy on the math. 10, easy to multiply by 10, right? So a day's wage, the minimum wage today is, let's say, $10 per hour, and you work eight hours a day. So how much is that? $80, okay? A day's wage. A denarius is a day's wage. $80 at least. Oh, let's make it $100 a day. It says 200 denarii. 200 days. So 100 times 200. How much is that? It's 20000 So $20,000... Just to feed people of at least 5,000. So we have about 10,000 people at least. $20,000 just to feed people. And Philip said, $20,000, if he said it today, won't be enough to feed these people. Philip said that, and basically what he was saying with the challenge, he looked at the natural. And his natural mind started to process the natural and made the conclusion that this is not going to work. Number one, where are we going to buy bread here in this place? And even if we have bread, do they have that kind of supply? And if they do, can we afford it? So basically what Philip was saying is this. We don't have what it takes. We don't have what we need to accomplish what you're saying. That's pretty much what he was saying, right? And many of us say that. God tells us to do something. Our natural minds begin to run and see, evaluate the, what God is telling us. Like, okay, well, Lord, you're telling me to go and do this. 
If I do this, if I lead a small group, that means I have to commit at least one hour a week. Okay, and that means every week. So that's going to be an hour. But the small group meeting is just an hour. Sometimes it can last for three, four hours. Can I say this? The small group meeting, the meeting itself, the official meeting is supposed to be from one hour to 90 minutes, an hour to an hour and a half. It shouldn't be longer than that. But the fellowship before that and after, and sometimes all the eating, makes it three, four hours, right? And some of you don't even mind because you get to eat a lot. So I have to commit four hours. Not only that, I have to do one-to-one with those people. How many of them do I have? I have five. So that's another at least five hours of meeting them. And then preparation time. I have to pray for them. Lord, that's too much time. And then you go, that's a lot of opportunity loss. You know, I'm, time is money. I'm going to lose money on this one. So I don't know, Lord. Maybe you're calling somebody else to lead. I don't have the time as well. Our natural minds kick in many times. I don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do. Secondly, we have another disciple who was a little bit more positive. Andrew. Andrew said this. Lord, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. So, can you imagine? So many people there. Can you look at everyone's bags here? Can you identify all the snacks? It's hard, right? It's hard. But there, during that time, you can identify because five loaves and then two fish, and they usually bring baskets. So the boy brought his lunch. He knew he's going to be out there. Jesus is going to be preaching the whole day. So I'm going to bring my lunch. Andrew could not have surveyed all the 10,000 people and said this is the only guy who had. He probably was the closest and that he saw. Lord, there's this boy here who has five loaves and two fish. But what did he say there? He said, but what are they for so many? What will five loaves and two pieces of fish do for this crowd? You see, if we have five loaves and two fish right now, and you're all hungry, we're going to fight over those five loaves and two fish. So what's Andrew basically saying? He's saying something that we can also identify with. Many times we say it. Here's what he's essentially saying. We don't have enough. I don't have enough. When we started this church, did we have enough? No, we didn't have a lot. But God did call us to start this church. So it was God who was going to provide. Did we have enough at the time? We didn't have a lot. Do we have enough now? For the things God's calling us to do, we don't have enough. But we're not looking at our bank account. We're looking at God to provide for us. How many of you have said that? Lord, I don't have enough. So that's essentially what he's saying here. He was testing his disciples, and then basically he was going to perform the miracle to show them who he really is, his power, so that they could put their faith in him. These signs were meant to point to Jesus so that people would believe in him. These signs prove who Jesus really is. 
So let's look at the boy now. Andrew volunteered the boy. The boy had his lunch. Look at what it says here. Jesus then took the loaves. Imagine you're a pastor and your 10-year-old son has his lunch. I just go without asking permission. I'll just take his lunch. The boy would probably go, Jesus took his lunch. It doesn't say in the text that Jesus asked permission or maybe he knew or maybe it didn't say also that the boy gave the loaves voluntarily. It just merely says Jesus took the loaves. Let me ask you something. Has Jesus taken some things from you without asking your permission? You know why he takes things away from you? Because sometimes you are too fixated on the thing that hinders his plan for you, that hinders his blessing for you, that hinders the greater thing that he wants you to have. And you insist on, he's the one, she's the one. Are you hearing me? Many times, the Lord takes it from us because he knows it's dangerous for us. But we get mad many times, don't we? Why did you take that from me? Why did you take her away from me? Okay, just that's just a side note. So the boy ends up losing his lunch. But did he go hungry? You see, Jesus made something out of his lunch that became a blessing to everyone. And he even shared. It even said there they had their fill. They ate all they could. It was a buffet of loaves and fish. Can you imagine? All you can eat, barley loaves and fish. So the boy ate a lot more. Everybody had their fill. They had their fill. And many times, God also takes things from us so that we can experience even a greater outpouring of what he has taken from us. But this time, it's from him. It's like doing this. I'm carrying this, okay? Lord, I love my life. This is my life. See, I'm carrying everything on this thing. This is my life. This is what defines me. Don't you love it? Isn't this great? And then the Lord sends his angel. His angel's like this. Hey, that's not the life God wants for you. This is the life God wants for you. And then you go, really? Put it on top of this one. What do you think God would say? Uh -uh. This is too precious for you to have with this. You need to let that go. But I love this. And you're looking at that. I like that too, but I can't part from this thing. This is my life. This is who I am. And God's saying, that's not who you are. So what are you going to do? How will you receive this God's giving? He's holding it. How will you receive it? Put it on top of this thing. You can't. You have to let go. You have to let go. Let go. And then you, with open arms, receive what God has for you. You can't receive God's best when you're holding on to things that can derail his best. Look at what happened here. Jesus took the loaves 
when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, it's interesting. Andrew said, what will five loaves and two fish do for so many? It's not computing. It's not enough. Why do we always have to be in lack? Why do we always have to struggle with lack? Why do we always face this reality that we don't have enough? Lord, why is it that way? Can you relate with that? But in the hands of the Lord, when you give it to him, you know what he does? He doesn't say, yeah, this is not enough. Yeah, you only have a little pitiful thing. Look what he does. He gets the five loaves and the two fish in his hands. He gives thanks to God. He gives thanks to God for the little that you have. So, question. Do we complain or are we thankful for the little things, the little that we have? Makes a lot of difference. We complain, we won't see any miracles. We are thankful. We see the miracle of God. Jesus can use the little that we have for his miracles. And we just need to be thankful just as he is. Put it in his hands. He thanked God. We should be thanking God. What do you have? Oh, surely not more than he has. Well, be thankful for what you have. Thank God for it. Thank God for the little that you have. Because with the little thing that you have, God can use it to be a blessing to many. Okay, let's look at the crowd now. Jesus and the crowd. With this event, he had several encounters. He had an encounter with the disciples. He had an encounter with this boy. So the boy had a perspective. The disciples had a perspective. Now remember, the disciples, the 12, they were being taught by Jesus. There was an object lesson here. They were his students. The crowds were following him. So now we're looking at the crowds now. It says there that the crowds followed Jesus because of the signs. And in verse 14, we see here, after Jesus performed the miracle of multiplying the bread and the fish, feeding everybody, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They made that conclusion. He's a prophet. He's a prophet. Remember, remember. Remember, they were in that feast of the unleavened bread, and they're about to celebrate Passover, which is designed to make them remember what happened in the original Passover. And who was the main character in the original Passover? Moses. Remember what Moses said? Here's what Moses said, actually, in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. See, Moses was a prophet, and he prophesied that one like me. The Lord raised up for you a prophet like me. And he wasn't talking about the prophets that we see. He was speaking of the one who will deliver. See, Moses was a type of Christ. He prefigured Christ. He was the deliverer. And here he said, God will raise up a prophet like me, one who will deliver you. So Moses was referring, and the Israelites all throughout the centuries understood what Moses was saying. He was referring to the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's a prophet. That's what they're 
conclusion was. And in verse 5, 15, because of that conclusion and because of the power that they've seen Jesus demonstrated in the past and now here, man, what can he do? With a man with this power and authority, what can he do for the nation? What can he do for our people? And now they're starting to think, and here's what they wanted him to be. They wanted Jesus to be their king. And they already had a plan. We want to take him by force. We're going to take him, whether he likes it or not, and we're going to install him as our king. And he's going to lead us. He's going to deliver us from the Romans. So he's going to deliver us from oppression. He's going to do what we want him to do. Is that what a king is? And here's what Jesus did. He withdrew. He was not going to be made king by people. We all know Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But it's not going to be people who will anoint him as king. And see, many times when we see the power of God displayed, we have our ideas of Jesus. And we make him the way we want him to be. We want him to be like a genie. You know, Lord Jesus, bless me. Bless me indeed. We look to Jesus only to meet our needs. And that's what these people are doing. They're following him around because of the signs. But as we will see later on, they were not really wanting to go beyond the signs. The next day, we will jump. So evening came. The disciples went to the other side of the lake of Lake Tiberias. They went ahead, and there were fierce wind. And then Jesus followed. He walked on water. Don't worry. They thought it was, they were startled to see, who's that? Who's that on the water? And Jesus said, it's I. So that was an interlude. And then he got into the boat, and then they were on the other side. Then the next day, when the people who were there, they stayed there. They said, where's Jesus? They didn't realize that he left. And then they saw there were boats there. They figured that they, he must have gone to the other side. So they went to the other side and looked for him, and they found him. Okay, they found Jesus. And they said, where'd you go? How did you get here? And then Jesus said to them in verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You were tickled. You were amazed. You were bedazzled. You were whatever. You liked that feeling, and you liked the feeling that you were filled. Your need was met. You're seeking me because you want to have your fill. And many of us, Many Christians today pursue Jesus so that they can get his blessing. Here in the United States, the prosperity gospel is so prevalent that some people say it, the religion America has exported to the world. And when we think of Jesus, we think of him as someone who will bless us and make us rich. All the preaching is all about us making, being all our needs are going to be overflowing, we're going to be met and See, I have nothing against prosperity because that's part of God's plan for us. But it's not the only plan. Prosperity is not the gospel. It is a small part of the total gospel. But here in America today, we make it as the gospel. All you hear in the prosperity gospel preaching is all about you getting rich. That is not the gospel, folks. And again, God wants to bless us. 
but not according to the American way of what prosperity is. You're following me. You're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you had your fill. You had your fill. So basically, Jesus exposed their real motivation for following him. Let me ask you today, why are you here today? Think about it. Why are you here? Are you here because of the signs you're seeing? Wow. Are you intrigued by Jesus? Are you curious about Jesus? Were you just dragged here? I have to be here. Someone I love wants me here, so I'm here. Yada, yada, yada. Why are you here? You see, Jesus sees through our motivations, sees through our actions. He exposed to the crowd their real motivation. That is, they just want their fill. It's all about them getting something. And here's the interesting thing. They were following Jesus because of the signs they've seen. And they've experienced a sign from him just the other day. And now, look at what happens in verse 3. Jesus said, here's what you need to do. Don't work for food that spoils. But work for food that is for eternity. In other words, don't pursue the temporal. Pursue the eternal. You guys are pursuing the temporal. It's not going to last. What's the work of God so that we may believe? Jesus said, the work of God is this, that you believe in the one he has sent. Now, the interesting thing that the crowds asked Jesus, look at this, verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Hello? You see what they're doing? They just want the sign. They're so fixated with signs and wonders. But they fail to see the purpose of the signs. It's like that old person camping, having a picture there on the sign. Thinking that's the real thing. It's ridiculous, isn't it? What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? Give me a sign. I'll believe you if you give me a sign, Lord. Lord, is this the sign? Show me a sign. And God doesn't do anything because it's not from him. And then you make up a sign because you really want that person. You really want that job. It's the sign. You tripped. You hit your head, but no bruise, no blood. It's a sign. Come on, some of you are like that. We readily presume that it is a sign from God when it is not. And here, they're looking at the sign. What sign can you give? It's like, haven't I done enough? What sign do you need? You just encountered a miracle yesterday. And you're asking me for a sign? You've seen the sign and you still not believe? And you're demanding again for a sign. They demanded for a sign. And of course, it's during the Passover now. And they're remembering Moses. You see, Moses, our forefathers, ate manna from heaven. Bread from heaven. And they ate from it. That was from heaven. And here Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am basically, and in another previous verse to this, basically, I am that bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Was he speaking of physical hunger and physical thirst here? 
How many of you have been Christian for five years now or more? Have you been hungry or thirsty? This morning I was just hungry. Just a while ago I was thirsty. Jesus was not referring to physical thirst or hunger. What was he referring to here? Your greater need. You see, beyond the physical is the spiritual, the greatest need. Jesus wants to meet that greatest need. And many of us are blind to our need. Many of us say we don't need a Savior when in fact we do. We are so fixated on what we want, we're blind to what we need. I am the bread of life. I'm not going to belabor this because we already had a sermon series on I am. Okay? And this is the first week on that sermon series. And then they went on a discourse, back and forth, back and forth. They could not believe what Jesus was saying. And eventually, in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They could not accept what he was saying. The point of the sign yesterday, that the bread was multiplied and you were filled and there was a lot more that's left. That means you have all that you need. That is just a sign of who I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. will never thirst again. I'm the giver of life. I'm the sustainer of life. And then they went on the conversation because they will not believe if you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. They could not accept that. And they said, this is a hard teaching. This is a hard teaching. Who can follow it? And because they would not believe. What basically Jesus was doing is he was unpacking the mystery. He was revealing already who he is. But in terms that they could not accept. How many of us are struggling to believe Jesus. You know, I'd really believe you. I'd believe in you, Jesus, if it were not for that thing you did or not that thing you, you said, you know, you have to do more. You have to convince me more. Some people have that attitude. How dare you? I love you guys, okay? But really, how dare you think that way? They could not accept the greater reality of who Jesus is. They could not accept the reality of what the sign pointed to. Let me say this. If you follow Jesus just for the signs, you will miss the point. And you will stop following him at a certain point. Sadly, many people today follow signs and wonders. Some churches, sadly, are built on signs and wonders. That's all they want. And people come because, oh, every Sunday, there's always a sign and a wonder. Oh, What's happening here? Let me say this. You can have all the signs and wonders that you want. But if your heart is unchanged, then you miss the point. We miss the point if we are so fixated on the signs and we miss who the signs are pointing to. Not us. Not us. Him. Go to Him. But we're there. We're like that old man. Under the sign. Ah, this is so nice. Lake Tao is far greater than that sign. Don't just follow the signs. Go to Jesus. If you just follow the signs, you will miss the point. You will miss him, even if he's right in front of you. As we conclude, 
You see, all of them, the disciples, the boy, the crowds, they all witnessed the miracle. And they were all confronted by the reality of who Jesus is. And they were also confronted with the reality that they needed to respond. The crowds did not respond properly, so they walked away. The boy, we can only wonder. We don't know what happened to him. Some of those crowds, you see, they've received their miracle, but what happened to them? Were they following Jesus? No. How many of you have seen that today in your lifetime? That you've seen people who God did a miracle in their lives, and they're like, yes, thank you, Lord. And then after that, they were unchanged. They're still back in their life of sin. But they did have a miracle. And you went, when you ask them, do you remember that time? Yeah. So then how come you're not following Jesus? People will not believe. That's the problem. So the boy whose resources were used for the miracle, we don't know what happened to him. But what about the disciples? His real disciples. Let's look at verses 67 through 69 here. As we end. So Jesus said to the 12, after everybody left, he looked to them. Do you want to go too? See, he was not insecure. Don't go, please don't go. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. He wasn't like that. The crowds left. The thousands left him. And then he looked. Do you want to go too? Do you want to go too? Jesus is looking to you now. He's looking at you right now. Asking you, do you want to go too? He's drawing the line. Do you want to go? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We've come to know who you really are. We've seen, we've gone beyond the sign. We got it. We know who you are. And that's why for them, the signs and the wonders that Jesus was performing during their time, it was awesome for them. Those are nothing compared to knowing him. Remember Paul, Paul even said, I have all these things, all these accomplishments, but I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and him crucified. Nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to who he is. That's how amazing Jesus is. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where can we go? We're ruined after seeing the reality, what is truth. You've allowed us to see it with our own eyes. We can't go anywhere. We are ruined by your truth. And we're here with you. We know who you are. And we're going to be with you. What do you need? Jesus can meet your need. Even in a miraculous way. You see, it's not an issue for him to meet your need. You have a great need today? It's not an issue for Jesus to meet your need. You know what the issue is with him? The issue is, will you believe? How many of you received a miracle from Jesus? And yet, today, you're struggling to believe him. You're struggling to follow him. You're struggling to give your life to him. You're struggling to see Him as Lord. You're struggling to obey His Word. You're struggling to obey Him. And yet, He's already performed many miracles in your life. And you're still struggling. That's the issue with Him. He doesn't have an issue with your need. He has an issue with your heart. 
He does not want belief. That's what he wants. Question is, will you go beyond the signs? Will you go beyond your needs? Will you go beyond these things and believe in him? That's the greater issue. So there's a question now that I want to ask everyone today. Now, before I ask that, how many of you received miracles from God already? Can I see your hand? Keep it raised. See, are you just making this up? Wait, there's many people. You've all received miracles from God? Come on. Are you making it up? If you're making it up, please put your hand down. So you're really saying that God really did a miracle in your life? And here's a question I want to ask as we end. Will you walk away from Christ, just like the crowd did, who experienced miracle after miracle? Or will you believe and walk with him? The choice is yours now. Will you settle for the sign? Or will you settle for the greater reality that the signs point to? Will you walk away from him? Or will you believe and walk with him? Let's bow our heads and pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're challenging us here today. Many of us have received blessings from you, even miracles from you. Lord, you've restored our relationships. You've restored our health, our perspective in life. You've restored our fortunes, our relationships. You've given us great things, things we do not deserve. And yet some of us are struggling. Some of us find it hard to believe. Lord, help us not to walk away. Lord, please don't let us walk away, Lord. Help us to be like your 12 disciples, Lord, who said, Lord, where shall we go? There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life. Apart from you, there's nothing. Lord, here we are. Lord, right now, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would touch our hearts. Open our eyes and remove every blinder from our eyes, Lord. Lord, everything that causes us to be in unbelief, Lord, remove those things from us, Lord. We surrender. We let go. We yield to you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we don't want to miss the point. We don't want to miss you. And you're right in front of us. And that's the reality. You are always with us. You're always in front of us, behind us, by our side. Protecting us, providing for us. But many times we miss you. What is it that's in our hearts that's causing us to be blind? Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts. That we may see. Right now, for the first time, God's speaking to you those things that hinder you. The Bible says in Hebrews to remove everything that hinders. And the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. That we are called to run in such a way to win the prize. To finish the race. To fight the good fight of the faith. Lord, what is it that's hindering us? What is it that's causing us to not soar with you? Lord, right now, speak to us. And I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to many of you today. Would you put your hand over your heart right now? Say, Lord Jesus, have your way in our hearts. Reveal to us, reveal to me those things that hinder, those things that derail us from your love and from your purpose, those things that make us blind to your love, to your holy affection, and remove those things from us. Lord, illuminate our hearts and our minds and our eyes so that we may see and that we may repent. Some of your 
God's speaking to you about those things. He's already revealing it to you. It's the first time you've seen it. I didn't realize I had that. God's pointing that out right now by revelation. And He wants you to respond to Him today. Repent, saying, son, daughter, repent of that. Right now, just repent of what God has shown you. That thing that's blocking you. That thing that's hindering you. That sin, whatever that thing is, repent of it right now. The Lord has shown it to you so that He can deliver you from it, but you have to repent of it. Ask Him to forgive you right now. And Lord, I pray that we would not be like the crowd, just hungry for signs, but they missed the point. They missed you. For your glory and honor, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.